So today, in the Reading Corner, we're talking to artist and picture book creator Oliver Jeffers, whose latest book, There's a Ghost in This House, is published this week. This is a book that I read as both playful and earnest, reassuring and questioning. A young girl invites the reader into a house where she has lived for a long time. She's been told that it's haunted, but she has personally never seen a ghost. As she searches the house, the reader is privy to a series of ghostly apparitions thanks to the clever use of semi-transparent pages. The young girl is oblivious to that. There is a final irony, which maybe we'll talk about as we get deeper into the story. So October is a good month to be publishing a ghost book. Yes, October does feel like a very nice month for it, doesn't it? And I'm hoping that, as I say, a ghost book is for life, not just for Halloween. I want to start with ghosts as our way in. There's a little note, just looking looking at the sort of text around your text, there's one that says, no, it doesn't come straight out and say whether you believe in ghosts or not. It says you believe that it's that scientific theory that energy never dies. It's simply transferred. So right. what appealed to you about the ghost story? Uh, well, I think I've always been interested in ghosts and ghost stories uh, because I absolutely hate scary films. Can't, can't do them at all. I, I was one of those... Uh, traumatized children in, in the early 90s who watched that uh, ghost watch, you know, that Sarah Green was in, that the BBC got more complaints than anything else. And even uh, the, the last one I attempted to watch, I think, was The Others. Uh, and I had to watch it with all the lights turned on at lunchtime from behind my hands. Uh, but there's just something, there's something about ghosts. There's something about old houses and the history that lies there. And, and yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to energy and just, you know, fear is associated with ghosts. But where that fear comes from, I think, had, uh, doesn't get questioned very often. And while there is a fear, I suppose that is, it, it comes from the unknown, that was something we don't understand. But at the same time, I think people are intrigued by ghosts because we all like the idea that there's more to it than just this one little brief spell we get of being alive. You do something very clever in this book, I think. You know, your ghosts are reassuring and they are playful and they, you don't feel that you're to be afraid of them. Mm. But at the same time, the book is quite unsettling. And I think that is to do with the house itself, yeah. which, you know, it's called the ghost in the house. We've got these two characters, really. Yeah. The, the house itself is a character. The house itself, I suppose, is a character. Um, there's the, the girl who's never given a name. Perhaps she's a manifestation of the house itself. But again, there's there's several things that are going on. And there's uh, and a part of it is this, this idea of that you want something so badly that you can't, you'll never be able to find it. And there's there's a degree of humor in making a book about looking for things because everybody in my family knows that I'm about the worst person in the world at finding anything. They mocked me because one time, and it did actually happen, I couldn't find the other end of a hose. Uh, and in my defense, that hose went under a boat and then up and over a fence, and, and so I lost the trail of the boat. But uh, I just thought, you know, the, there, there is something funny about not being very good at looking for things, because it's quite clear that these ghosts are right there, and this girl just cannot see them. But then it becomes obvious that the, these ghosts don't actually want to be found, and they're having a little bit of fun with that. And the thing that I found interesting is that you don't repeat the same thing through using that technique. It does evolve and change. And so you're kind of guessing as a reader 
as to what's going to happen. What starts out as an initial surprise later as you get through becomes a different kind of guessing and working out where those ghosts are going to be. I loved that. I think actually for the first two times it happens, you don't notice it happening. So when you do notice it, then you're like, wait a minute, was that there all along? And then you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, so there's a, there's an absolute subtlety to this. And there's such a tactile nature to the book that um, people were asking for some Zoom events about, you know, can we get a PDF of it? And I was like, no, it just doesn't translate. It's, mm. This is an object to be held in your hands. Whenever I was reading it to uh, to my kids and, and their cousins at an early stage, they started doing something that I didn't predict. They started trying to guess where the ghosts were going to be before I turned the page. And I love that. It, it became playful for them. But, you know, if I, I've managed to get a ghost appearing behind a child in a mirror in the bathroom, which is about one of the creepiest things I can imagine, but it's done in, in, in a way, and, you know, it's an old Victorian bathroom, but it's done in a way that is, there's sort of an underwriting current of macabre to it, but it's ultimately quite funny. Yeah. There are some clues there. Paintings and portraits are quite important in this book. Mm. And I know that you've had a long-running art project with portraits and interviewing people, dipping uh, portraits in paint. And here the portraits are quite important. I think quite early on there's an image of one that looks as though it could be like a Joshua Reynolds portrait of two children, very sort of, you don't see it clearly, but that's the feeling that you're getting from it. Well, it is actually. I think it might be a Joshua Reynolds, but it was from... So a lot of the the rooms when I was sort of storyboarding it out, they had to there had to be a certain kind of momentum to it, you know, left or right, up, down, so on and so forth. So the rooms had to be quite specific in the end. None of these rooms are actually from the same book. I've, I've been collecting old architectural reference books and furniture catalogs for for quite some time, and so while some of them are just absolutely lifted wholesale, uh, a lot of the rest. I've had to take a little bit of from here and a little bit from there. So I've had the opportunity to have a bit of fun with that. And yeah, the the, the portrait of the, the kids at the top of the stairs there. Uh, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's again, little just sort of nuggets for potential sub narratives that, that go off in different directions. Yeah. And also some of the portraits later get eyes on them. Yes. I start watching as <laughs> like the ghosts kind of come in and out through those things. Yeah. And the final portrait, although I won't say too much about it, uh, the final portrait is one where we see the face clearly and we haven't seen faces that clearly on the portraits mm-hmm. in the rest of the book. Is that somebody specific in that portrait? I, I, th- I think it might be. If you're talking about a real person, no. We'll leave it there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's another very subtle ending that uh, I've, when I've been showing it to people, almost all of them go, don't get it. And so I think I've been way too subtle. Ooh. There's also <laughs> an ending if you think of the back back jacket as well which is a sort of inversion of the front yes jacket and yes. where who's looking out from upstairs and downstairs yes exactly but if, if you look if you lift up that back flap and look Got at coffee. the inside and paper a lot yeah. of people don't notice that yes you have to take the jacket off don't you, you have to look underneath the jacket yeah you do <laughs> Just going back to portraits for a moment, were you partly thinking about your portrait project when you were doing this book as well? Uh, I mean, a lot of the the tentacles of various projects of mine worked their way in and out of other ones. And so, yes, uh, you know, I have a certain sensibility of the portraits and there's a they tell a certain story. So I wasn't trying to directly relate to that, but just that as a as a piece of visual language in my work. 
the tone of it was definitely the same because it's about that project is about memory and identity and storytelling. And that's what this book is about too. So without trying to draw a direct correlation between them, the inclusion of the butcher in this is, is a sort of subtle nod to the similar themes that they both explore. Mm. And I suppose if you're a creator of one kind or of another, you never completely leave one project behind. You sort of build and accumulate your well, that's your it. thinking yeah, accumulates. No, no project ever really starts in isolation, finishes in isolation. There's 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 through lines that go through everything. You know, it's like some of the fine art projects I'm working on right now had their starting points before even here we are, but kind of worked their way through. We here here we are and and, and are keeping going. So yeah, it's almost like the a, a river, and every so often you dip a bucket down and you you pull something out. That thing that you pull out might be a book or a project or a painting, but it's coming from the same place. Can we talk about the house a little bit? Because I was really intrigued where the snippets of information came from and some specific dating of things. The house mm-hmm. was built in se- around seventeen sixty. You reference the Queen Anne chair in there, mm-hmm. paintings have that sort of Georgian feel to them that doorway and of course I accept that I might not be right but uh, the doorway you know I was just in Dublin the minute I saw that doorway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us so about these the are, well, these, uh, it was uh, about uh, history <laughs> so well the photographs are coming from everywhere I've always tried to do that even in uh, you know the uh, the great paper caper the phone box is a is a British phone box the police car is a New York old-fashioned police car the police uniform is an australian police uniform so i, I lift little references from everywhere so not anyone in particular uh, my sister-in-law katie was having several spinal surgeries a couple of years ago and she was uh, she had to go to rhode island just because that's where the, the best help was at that point and rhode island all of the the architecture there is is of that that certain era and it, you know it's all those those great big houses that look like the adams family house and that's kind of where it totally comes from um, and if you look at the house in the, on the front it's based partly on, you know, like the, the widow watch of those houses where the wife would have gone up to watch out for her husband coming home from sea. But it is also partly based on a house uh, or a couple of different houses uh, from Belfast, because all of the houses in Rhode Island are, are timber. But this is brick. This house is brick. So I sort of mixed that up. Uh, and the rest of them are coming from architectural reference books, mostly from New England, Massachusetts, uh, around there from uh, houses from the 1700s to the 1850s and then some of the interiors are slightly more contemporary from like the, the 30s to the 40s but are all sort of played in together and yeah you're 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 picking those up absolutely correctly you've got the playfulness of the ghosts which we'll talk about in a moment but the house there's there's this kind of interplay as i was saying earlier between reassuring and quite creepy uh-huh. and if you look at the house on its own it's incredibly creepy you know, yes. you know the way that you're playing <laughs> yes. with dark and light and um mm-hmm. shadow and mirrors yeah. yes <laughs> it is and it's it's you know it had to I had to tap into that that part of my memory that was fascinated by the, these old empty creepy houses when I was growing up so there is there's some of Chaz Adams illustrations in there there is some of the the Adams family the monsters things like that you know a, a lot of that the, the classic creepy house that would have been the backdrop of uh, of my childhood so I had the you know I feel like I'd have been doing myself a disservice if I hadn't filtered some of that through but that it just it lent itself to a beautiful palette really mm-hmm. and a lot of fun to be had was like how creepy can these backgrounds be and still be taking the edge off when the characters go in 
Where does the text itself come from? It looks like estate agent catalogs or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it is. Some of it I've made up uh, and some of it is actually from the book. I wanted to, to look like this is a catalog for an old house that is being documented and this story is just that is, is interplaying through it. So it's almost devoid of personality in some ways. But so, yes, like the, you know, the central hall plan uh, reached the peak achievement in the superb hallways of the remarkable house built in 1760. All very, very boring. But then whenever you get to the ones like the attic, uh, the attic now serves as a storeroom for old chairs, books and a covered tall boy. These images needed a separation between them. So I, I took lines that just would do the job of describing what was there but without doing too much else, just as a visual separation and, and kind of to remind people of just the descriptive thing that if you choose to, you can see there is nothing happening here at all. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how the different threads of the story started to come together for you and, and when? I think the first thing is I've often collected things that look like they're the background of something else to paint on top of. So that's why I was collecting photographs of old empty rooms, like knowing what I was going to do with them. Um, that's the same with the disaster paintings that I work on, where I find these old oil paintings and I paint in the first thing that that uh, occurs to me, which is often a Titanic sinking or some sort of plane stuck on a tree or something like that. So th- there was that. And a game that I played with myself, with, with kids, is... If you paint a, a ghost into some of these rooms, you can like move it around. And I always thought that was fun. So that was there at the background for quite some time. And then I had written this story and I hadn't actually paired it with this style yet. And the story was was about this girl. And in a, in a way, I thought that she might be the ghost. And we sort of gradually dawned on us as we got, went through that. And then I was like, that just, it reeks too much of that, the, uh, the Sixth Sense book. And so it, it, it's funny, it's like, I was actually talking with Neil Gaiman when he came by the studio and, and I was showing him this, I was like, I just can't quite pick the lock. But he didn't see it the same way that I did. He, from the start, automatically assumed that uh, the ghosts were hiding from her deliberately. And that was, it was like sort of this, uh, you know, this this lock being unpicked. And so th- there was lots of different strands like that coming together. And uh, and then just the, the idea of selecting that classic white sheet two holes for eyes ghost it again it makes it generic so it's not there's not too much of a personality it's more about what they're doing and the ideas of it than than any character so Mm. to speak yeah I wanted to talk a little bit about the making of the book if we start with the kind of montage idea you've hidden that you've not tried to make the photographs have that modern realistic feel they've got the dots in that you get when you some some do yeah that that comes from because these are all printed anywhere from 100 to 50 years ago and so when you scan and and resize those dots you do get that like that sort of color half tone distortion which i tried to minimize this to some um because it creates weird patterns if if you get it wrong uh but yeah that is that's just from the old books it's it's almost being collaged with a scalpel and things have just been cut out and sort of replaced. And 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 then, the, you know, it was above my pay grade in Photoshop, making some of them fit a bit better. So I had to get some some help in for that. So should we talk about the transparency? But I, I think they're semi-opaque rather than semi-transparent. So they have to have a whiteness to them for it to work, yes. don't they? Yes. I think it's like the glass is half full, the glass is half empty. <laughs> but, you know, when I was playing with these in my sketchbook, I was using something called Mylar. It's uh, how an awful lot of lithography is done and you paint on this and it's 
it's like a it's a it's an old material but it is it's it's almost like an architectural tracing paper but it's smooth there's, there's a plastic in it rather than just wood pulp um and so it's more transparent than this but more consistently transparent it's a strange effect and i was hoping that i could make the book on that but uh, on the slightest bit of costing and scrutiny it became completely impractical mm. uh, completely so uh, and and also using that much plastic in a book just uh, sort of goes against my core values. So we tried to find the, the right tracing paper that had enough opacity, but also had enough tooth to it, enough weight to it, so that it wouldn't just wrinkle. Mm-hmm. And then the most complicated part came from realizing that uh, ideally the story initially was going to be room on the left, text on the right, tracing paper in between. But to do that, you would have had to glue the tracing paper in and that just didn't look good. And so then we, we tried, tried to work out, well, what's the best way to actually make this book so it doesn't look like that? And the way a book is made is that there's, there's sheets of four and they're folded in two. And then so you get like little mini booklets within a booklet and they're stitched together. So we thought, well, what if we could weave in a full sheet of tracing paper in and around those groups of four? And that is why you've got this strange structure of some pages have no tracing paper and some pages have two pieces of tracing paper. And then it was my goal. And this maybe took the longest is how do I make this story, the structure of the story flow around the structure of this book? So, for example, when you get to a certain point where there won't be tracing paper, what do you do? And that became the a, a really enjoyable and satisfying challenge. And that's why, for example, when it's the, this, the staircase and she's looking under the stairs, but they're very hard to see. That's the first hint that you get that the ghosts are playing with you and having fun. You turn the first sheet of tracing paper and you see them running up the stairs. And then you turn the second sheet of tracing paper and you see them laughing. So that served the purpose in the book. And I think it it works so well that whenever I showed this to some people, they were like, wow, your publisher must really love you to put in two sheets of tracing paper in a row like that for a small joke. And I was like, so, okay, so that it did work. But that, that's why we had to create then the the rooms with the joiner spreads as i call them where there couldn't be any tracing paper so that's just gray and she's just sort of working her way through the house and that became a wonderful opportunity to sort of connect the rooms of the house and just have a little doorway here a little doorway there and some stairs and so i I do sometimes think that the best ideas can come from obstacles and trying to figure out your way around obstacles and that's certainly the case for this book really interesting um what was your I'll tell you what my favourite ghost bit is. Okay. <laughs> you know where you're in the bathroom and there's a towel hanging over? Yeah, that's my favourite ghost bit too. <laughs> I love that because it's there in plain view. Yeah. And you don't see it. <laughs> Until you turn the sheet of paper. The funny thing is that as I was doing some sketches, I would just take these empty rooms and I would just paint a straight ghost, you know, you know not doing anything straight on top. And I loved how it looked, just, you know, how big they were. And there's nothing like that in the book because it just it didn't serve the story anywhere. And actually, in, the, in experimenting for this, I started working on just putting different ghosts in different rooms. And, and so I actually have a whole secondary project that has spun out of this, which is uh, more like a fine art exhibit that's going to be happening in New York, where the girl does, is, is, doesn't make an appearance at all. It's just all these different ghosts sort of sitting contemplatively in these empty rooms. And a uh, part of it was, you know, History books are filled with glorious battles and uh, heroes who have been sacrificed and, you know, glamour and everything. But the vast majority of everybody's life is spent doing very ordinary, very monotonous things. And if that is how we spend our life, if there is an afterlife, what's to say that that's not what the afterlife would be like? And in a way of 
showing these ghosts just thinking very boring thoughts and doing very boring activities, you know, into into the evermore. Will that raise the question uh, in ourselves about how is it that we'll spend the time that we actually do have alive? Absolutely. The other thing that I felt was that it was very theatrical in a way. I don't know if you know the theatre company Punch Drunk. They do immersive kind of theatre and you participate. But it had that feel where you wander around and you might not even see much of the acting. But even when there aren't actors there, just the being in the house is the drama itself. Well, that's it. It's it's, it's a choose your own adventure. And that, you know, that's a that's much more like life than sit in this chair and be entertained. You get out what you put in, Mm -hmm. you find what you participate in. And yeah, there is an there is an element of that. Yeah, Actually, do you know what? You were just asking what's my favourite ghost moment in this. My favourite ghost moment in this whole book is on the title page. So there's a ghost in this house is the title, and then there's an asterisk. And then the asterisk refers you to something at the very bottom of the title page, which says, afraid of ghosts. And so there's actually, there's afraid of ghosts in this house because the collective noun for a group of ghosts is afraid of ghosts. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, I am going with that. It's good. It's good. Um, I'd like to talk about some of the other design aspects, like the shape of the book. I mean, you have a choice to make, don't you, when you create a book like this? Am I going to make a a tall book, a square book? It can only be a tall and thin book. And especially the creepiest parts of of old houses are are up in the rafters, up at the top. And even we just moved into a new house in Northern Ireland and there's three floors and we don't really go up to the top floor. So the lights are never on. So our children have started calling it the darkness. So this book only ever could be a, a tall book. Yeah. Is the artwork that you produced, is it all on computer or have you got... No, no. So actually, that's a really good question. Uh, I wanted it to look like I painted the girl straight into these rooms, right? But only in three or four of the examples that the room exists and, and they weren't exactly that size. And and I, uh, the one thing I don't like doing is if you paint something at a different size and then rescale it, the brushstrokes don't match for continuity. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing for the, for the for the girl and for the, the original art, so to speak, is that I would get the, these files of the rooms and then I worked with a printer in Northern Ireland and I had them printed on watercolour paper. They weren't perfect, but it was enough for me to paint the girl on situ into that room and then I scanned those and it was more straightforward to remove the girl from a background that was very, very basically identical to the one it was going to be placed on. And then I dropped it back into the original scan of the room itself rather than the print of the scan. So the cover is totally hand-painted. There's a bunch of pencil drawings where I pick out one detail and expound upon it. That all lives in, in real life. And then, yeah, there's whatever it is, 26 large printed pieces of watercolor paper with the original painting on top of it. And the, and the white paint that you had to use to get the right opacity. Oh, well, this, oh so yeah, this is this is another one that's gonna you're going to find very strange. The originals of the ghost are black. Oh. They had to be black because they need the information. Because if you scan white against black it would scan the black not the white and so i had to invert it and then when it's you you drop it into the book you just tell the the printer has to know that this the density of this color needs to be white ink clever stuff can i ask you as well because the the whole layout and the design of the book it's so gorgeous and that comes down to things like the placing of the type on the page the typography and the little elements that you've picked out for the bottom right hand corner mainly sort of furniture 
uh, lights. Most of them are a detail from the main image. Was there any thought process as to what you were going to pull out or were they just objects that you liked? They were. It was just a little bit of uh, almost, you know, picking out the monotony of the scene. So one thing that's sort of there that just is, look, I'm celebrating the detail of what's happening. And, and, you know, of course, there's this drama unfolding, but the details being picked out is just some boring little thing in the corner. And again, it just sort of adds to that, that there's there's nothing here uh, happening at all if you choose to look at it that way. Interesting. And what about the typography? The typography is actually my handwriting, but I didn't want it to just be my handwriting anymore. And so I printed the book out using the same font from a lot of the uh, uh, the catalogs that I was uh, seeing. There, there, there was sort of a similar-ish font that, that seemed to be consistent throughout many of them. Uh, and so I printed out big and then I just copied it with with, with my hand so that there was was not quite perfect you were like okay the the typographers in the room wouldn't be able to place their their fingers on what the font was but it's it still had that that sort of personal quality but yet it also wasn't exactly handwriting sorry i've just got sidetracked by the swinging chandelier which i love (laughs) as well that's another way in which you're going to get a clue here um is in that picture not just yeah transparency you know you you were hitting on something earlier on because like yeah a lot of the, the the geographical reference and timing of these is of a certain place in in history at a certain place and time. And that's, you know, the Salem and the Salem witch trials. And, and so, much, so much of this book is about looking for something and not being able to find it and sort of becoming increasingly desperate. And in a, in a way, that's exactly what was happening during the Salem witch trials, which there was a sort of a hysteria and a desperation that people were finding things that weren't actually there at all. And so there's a, there is a, there's a parallel drawn to that for sure. And is that something that struck you from reading or from actually being in did you visit uh, we did we we visited Salem it's one of my favorite photographs is my wife sat in a park bench and we're in all black she's got long black hair and it was in the build-up to Halloween and when she came out she she didn't notice but there was a bunch of women dressed up as witches that had gathered around her and she fit in perfectly with them um but yes and and doing that there was just such a sort of a, a sad tragedy about the whole thing about you know the I, there's there's flows in my work that are constant and so, so much of it is about wanting to be understood and wanting to understand and mm-hmm. how the two things often get in the way of each other uh and I, and I, and that definitely plays into this and just this notion of the unknown and being right and uh protecting yourself from fear and just you know, whenever you sort of smash all these things together the consequences that can come from that it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate the time that you've given me today, Oliver. There's a ghost in this house is out this week and our podcast will be soon too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nikki. All the best. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.